Hey, Heinz. Yes. CFUV 101.9 FM's podcast, You in the Ring, investigated what happened to the Uvic bunnies. Yes. Uh, I heard some farmer lady from Coombs just shot them all. I don't see Uvic bunnies any different than an invasion of rats. Um, she's like, well, someone should come take care of these rabbits. The ministry gives her someone to call. The pest control officer, he starts shooting the rabbits. And then the gunshots ring out through, like, the farm field. And then the people next door heard him, jumped the fence, and chased him out of the field. And they're just sprinting through the farm field and actually chased the guy back into Barbara Smith's house. They chased the guy with a gun. Yeah. And there were kids, too, so the trapper was dying. Rabbit activists were chasing the guy, killing the rabbits. And then... So he, he, he came in and said, I can't do anything. Barbara Smith's like, well, thank you for doing your job. He ends up shooting 30, like around 30. And all this time, the Ministry of Environment biologist was here going, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> so, you know, this whole vision of me out there with my rifle, absolutely not. I'm not going to shoot rabbits. I hired somebody to do it. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the Community Radio Fund of Canada. To find out what happened to the Uvic Bunnies and hear more podcasts, check out cfuvpodcasts.com. Hi, Anin. Odette Oje Nadishnakaz. Ninduji Sagamuk Nadishnabek through my mom. Hands Passing Forward is about Indigenous artists transferring skills for the artists of tomorrow. This series documents traditional skills shared in fine detail through thoughtful artist interviews and conversations and also soundscapes from artist studios. My goal was to share insight into the actual processes while archiving mentorship relationships between Indigenous artists. To me, respectful interviewing means deeply listening for the why they weave, how decisions are made, what's appropriate to share in a carving, especially what is happening energetically when you sit beside an elder and learn from their hands and their voices. Creating soundscapes was my way to better communicate, try to capture that moment of transfer. The knowledge and artistry being transferred is a treasure beyond measure. We often hear or say since time immemorial. This series is about for time immemorial too. This series was generously funded by the First Peoples Cultural Council Sharing Traditional Arts Across Generations Award. In this story, Pamela Post is a storyteller and she discusses heritage, her current work and projects, and she's been deeply influenced by her Simshan father. Strong art continues to come from her cultural connections and her reconnections.
Amasa, Pamela Post, DYU. Good day, my name is Pamela Post. I'm a Vancouver-based journalist and broadcaster with a long history in news and current affairs with CBC Radio. I'm Sim Shen from Kitsum Kalem in Northwest BC on my father's side and German-Canadian on my mother's side. These strange pandemic times have both interrupted and inspired a couple of radio documentary projects that I've been working on. One is documenting the transition of my young adult transgender or two-spirit son and our relationship over the first year of his testosterone therapy. Tell me what you're about to go do. I'm about to go uh, upstairs at Three Bridges Clinic to um, have my second uh, trans intake appointment and potentially start uh, HRT, hormone replacement therapy. Uh, prepare to go into this appointment. You're filled with a sense of um, I'm on the right track. Yes, I. It feels like progress. Um, not doing it to me feels like the kind of non-decision that's just started to make me uncomfortable. The second is about the de facto decolonization of Stanley Park due to the pandemic lockdown. I've been documenting the great quieting of the park during the early stages of the lockdown, where the land and animals have had a great rest from the usual heavy sonic stress, footprint and pollution of human activity. And lately, I've been interviewing Coast Salish knowledge keepers, elders and hereditary chiefs on whose unceded, unsurrendered lands the park sits. Some freighter that's been slowly going past. I think that's the sound, although it sounds like a plane. And it's spewing out a ton of smoke. Marmorass navigation is what it says on the other side. I grew up, like many Indigenous people, uh, in an urban environment removed from my traditional territory and culture, except for my Simchan dad's profound influence and teaching by way of example and stories. From my colonized Western conditioning, I was going to answer that question originally uh, in a conventional way saying that, you know, as a journalist, particularly as a news reporter, my training has been to think of myself as an investigator, a researcher, a chronicler of facts, someone who holds truth to power, you know, that kind of thing. 
uh, and that my current work, which is uh, focused on um, more long-form uh, contextual artful radio documentaries, or even you know the opera libretto and art song texts that I have written in the past, could more ac- accurately be called artistic expression or a combination of the two. But you know, I've been immersed in my own decolonization work uh, intensively for the past several years. And I'm reminded of something I heard said about many Indigenous languages, that there is no word for art or artist in them, or many of them. That the term art is more of a Western concept. The idea that someone creates a commodity to be consumed as a piece of art, that only certain people are artists, and that most people are just spectators to art or consumers of art. In all indigenous cultures, everyone sings, everyone dances. In in some language, uh, some indigenous languages, the closest equivalent to the word for artist is the word for human. So through my Simshan wisdom and worldview, I now see it that we are all gifted and how we live our life is our art. Being colonized has meant growing up in an individualistic culture of often feeling alone, not not good enough, having to prove yourself again and again. I've received quite a few big awards and fellowships for my investigative journalism and documentary work over the years. Relating to the culture of mainstream media, I still regularly have to battle those feelings as a storyteller and creator of, what have you done lately? What are you working on now? It's this vicious cycle of having to prove yourself again and again based on what creative commodity you've squeezed out. It's a very extractive Western way of looking at things. And more and more, I've been challenging the status quo, uh, doing things more slowly, mindfully, organically, having faith in the vision and the fact that my work continues to find a home and be, be appreciated by mainstream networks like CBC and other media. As I mentioned, I'm currently working on a radio doc about the pandemic effects on the natural world, specifically on the Coast Salish territory I live next to called Stanley Park. And while I feel pressure to get this done, another part of me feels the pandemic lockdown itself is a call to stillness, to listening, to not hurrying. In our Simshan language of Samayach, there is a beautiful phrase, Hagwilian. It means to go gently or to walk softly. Faster isn't always better.
it's a genetic slot machine. My mother was a gifted seamstress. She made my wedding dress, christening gowns for her grandchildren. She's even tailored men's suits, and I can barely sew a button on. But I definitely got my Simshan dad's storytelling gene, or our people's gene. Uh, I've often thought it makes sense that I love radio even more than print or television, and I've done all of them. Radio is a form of oral storytelling. It's very personal, powerful, and intimate. I think it resonates with something deep in my DNA. So, yeah, definitely something genetic going on there, I think. Um, having said that, good training and mentorship is wonderful. I teach and mentor and am still actively seeking out my own mentors. Well, the idea of a hero's journey that Carl Jung and later Joseph Campbell talked about resonates for me. We're all on our own hero's journey and our lifetimes are like these incredible adventures, you know, kind of like an adventure novel or a great Disney ride or video or a virtual reality game or sometimes our own epic dreams, you know, full of moments where you have to choose which path to walk down, where you're being chased by a dragon or you find yourself in an epic battle or great romance. I've had moments that were definitely these kinds of hero's journey portals into creativity. Um, and you know, they usually come through a great loss or defeat. I think it's true that we seldom grow as humans uh, or have great creative moments when everything is going our way. But as we know, when something very dark or difficult happens, it's often one of those fork in the road moments. You can use it to go into a dark forest of despair, or you can use it to grow. They, they are liminal spaces, almost otherworldly states, where you stand between two worlds. That happened to me when I got breast cancer as a young mother to an eight-year-old. All of a sudden, I didn't know if my life would be long or short. And it took me on a deep journey back to my spiritual nature, wisdom, and creativity. And it's also when my Simchan grandmother emerged. She had died long before I was born. But in a magical way, first on the internet, she showed up. And I've been following her voice and wisdom and others, other ancestors since then. Last year I completed a graduate course in Indigenous Research Methodologies at UBC. And for my final assignment I produced a half-hour radio documentary on my Simshan matriarchs. It was titled Silver Beads on Silken Thread. And that title comes from a phrase my Simshan aunt Barbara wrote in her diary as she was dying from tuberculosis in a sanatorium years before I was born. She wrote about her mother, my grandmother, who had died several years earlier, and how she wished she was clever and could string words like silver beads on silken thread so she could share her mother's life and all the legends and stories she had told her children for all the world to see and hear. And I was so moved by my aunt's words when I read them in that diary. And so I picked up the storytelling torch to try and tell the stories of my strong Simshan matriarchs 
who history had tried very hard to erase. And that mission continues for me. I think to be human is to be creative. The ways we are creative are wildly varied, of course, and I often look at some of my artist friends with envy and I think, oh, if I only had that ability. But I've learned to trust in my own gifts and that I'm still here making my form of artful audio storytelling because it serves a purpose in the world. I do think that I feel things very deeply uh, that's why, you know, 15 years of covering hard news left me with a lot of post-traumatic stress. Many people have a big appetite for true crime shows and podcasts, but I spent way too much time there reporting in great detail hour after hour on some very dark things, particularly stories about child abuse and missing and murdered women. This was likely made worse by my own transgenerational trauma or epigenetics. I grew up hearing my Simshan dad say that his first memories as a very little boy were of combing the buckshot out of his mother's long black hair after one of his father's violent attacks on her. When I tell stories, I have to put myself in the shoes of the people whose story I am telling, and sometimes that feels too real. But I also think it's a gift. It's how I tune into the emotional truth of a story. My traditional territory is in the northwest part of British Columbia along the Skeena River, but I grew up in Vancouver, Coast Salish territory with Stanley Park as my backyard. So nature was my first teacher. I developed a kinship with the plants and the animals, feeling their aliveness, their sacredness. I used to believe that the little white daisies that grow in the grass were fairies, which is of course a European illusion, but that's what was in all the fairy stories I grew up with. Um, when I was about four, my parents would drive us, me and my older sister, around Stanley Park on summer nights to put us to sleep. I used to look out the car window at the twinkling North Shore lights, having no idea what they were. I asked my dad, are they fairies? And he wisely said, yes, they're fairies. <laughs> He'd also tell us on road trips as kids at night when we noticed the moon would seem to follow us, that it was taking care of us. That sense of being connected in a positive, powerful, relational way to nature and to a sense of the spirit in everything came in childhood, in spite of growing up in a city. More and more in my storytelling work, I don't have to hide the spiritual aspect, which I almost always had to do uh, working in news.
when I'm finally at the stage of fine editing or mixing a long half-hour documentary, usually after months of story and sound gathering interviews, the laborious process of transcribing hours of interviews, isolating clips or quotes from them, working with my network editors remotely in Toronto or Montreal as I write the script, then recording the narration, you often hit a brick wall when you fall out of love with your story and you just wonder if it's actually just a flaming piece of crap. Um, I call this the lost in the German black forest part of the process. But when I finally get to the place where I'm mixing it all down, scoring it with music and sound effects, sort of braiding it together like a tapestry, I can start to hear it the way the audience will hear it. Usually that's um, a wonderful, sometimes thrilling place to be, like cycling up a mountainside for hours in the hot sun, and then you get to the top and you look down at the shady side of the mountain with the cool ocean breezes, and you get to coast all the way down with the wind in your hair, smelling fragrant flowers, enjoying the beauty of the thing you've created. But when it feels like that, I know I've hit the mark, that it's all been worth it, that I've succeeded in what I set out to do creatively as a storyteller. You have been listening to Hands Passing Forward, a collection of audio stories created and produced by Audette Augier. This series emerged from our First Peoples Cultural Council project, sharing traditional arts across generations. It features interviews with Jesse Rakalma, Pamela Post, Sozan Blaney, and Cole Speck. Original music for this series is by Johnny Hanus, with special thanks to Dan Peters of Spark Music and the Podcast From Here workshop. This series is funded in part by the Community Radio Fund of Canada. To find more cutting-edge, award-winning, and locally-made podcasts, visit cfuvpodcasts.com. Merci Cho for listening, and have a really nice day. CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria's Full Circle podcast discusses how reconciliation is a multi-layered process with Tanya Claremont, Anishinaabe Director of Human Resources of Victoria's Native Friendship Centre. Colonization is a long existence in Canada, and reconciliation is so new. So we're learning lots of ways that these two conversations are coming together. So the checklist mentality, it might be a good starting point. Like I'm going to read something that is about the history. Those types of checklists are not harmful. But thinking you can achieve everything through just a one-two-step process is the danger. It took 150 years in BC to get to this point. We don't know how long it'll take to undo all of that. And I think Indigenous community is realistic about that, much more so sometimes than mainstream Canadians who really just like are so passionate that they want to, you know, start running down that road. Everybody needs to come along the conversation. And so we can't let some people get too far ahead if we're leaving others behind. This episode was brought to you by the Community Radio Fund of Canada. To hear more, check out cfuvpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.